Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So Joshua's generation. I'm excited. At the beginning of a new year, there's a, a fresh blank page to start with. And that's how the Israelites felt. They came to the edge of the promised land. I want you to imagine the scene. I don't know if you know much about the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. Do you, I wonder if you know that story. I feel like the Lord has said to me, I need to preach meat and potatoes. In other words, just basic Christian doctrine, doc, Christian stuff. Just suds and yama, meat and potatoes, just your basic stuff. But then throw in a bit of super hot chili sauce. Just a bit of a prophetic edge. So that's my aim, is to make it understandable and basic diet for all of us, but with a bit of fire in there. Is that okay? And I, I trust that he will help us do that. So I'm just going to show you. Maybe let's go. So we started with Egypt. Let's just go back to Egypt. The Israelites started in Egypt. Uh, they were in bondage. Why am, I, why am I telling you this? Let me give you a bit of background. 1 Corinthians 10 says this. Just stay there, please, Carol, on that slide. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. I do not want you to be ignorant that our, all of our forefathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and their rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. And then in verse 11, he says, Now all of these things happened. What are all these things? The journey from Egypt to the promised land. All of the things that happened in that 40 years from Egypt to the promised land. He says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written down for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. In other words, you, if you can find anything that happened to the Israelites in their journey from Egypt to the promised land, it happened for you. Wow, do I feel special. A whole nation would move out of a country through the wilderness for 40 years into another country just so that little old me, 4,000 years later, can benefit and learn about the Lord. Hallelujah. So, they started in Egypt. Egypt was a place of bondage. They'd been there as slaves for 400 years, uh, being whipped every day, whips across their backs, soldiers saying, make more bricks, you cannot stop now, you cannot have a meal, you cannot marry that person, you must live in this place, you cannot earn any money, you cannot make your own decisions, whip, whip, whip every day, make more bricks, that's bondage, and that's a picture of anyone who's not a believer is a slave to sin and Satan. What? Greg, are you saying everyone who's not a Christian anywhere in the world, anyone who's just living their happy life is a slave? Yes, the Bible says they cannot stop sinning. They are a slave to Satan. And he may give them a little bit of provision, a little bit of pleasure every day, but they cannot stop. And he dictates to them, you must sin, you must do this. And they are slaves to serving him. But every now and again, somebody, their eyes open and they say, I'm a slave. I don't want to be a slave to sin and Satan anymore. And then they move out of Egypt. And remember how they moved out of Egypt? The blood of a spotless lamb was painted on their doorposts. Do you remember the story? 
Maybe you don't. Maybe one day I'll tell you the story in more detail. But a lamb, a little lamb was brought into their house, spotless lamb, and lived with them and their kids for two weeks, 14 days. <laughs> Sweet little cuddly cuckoo, whatever you call him. And then they killed him and painted his blood on the door. What? So that the angel of death would pass over. We become Christians by seeing Jesus, the perfect, lovely Lamb of God, was killed for us. And we paint the blood on the door of our lives. Then we go through the Red Sea, which is a picture of baptism. We get put underwater and all those soldiers, which are demons, which used to whip us and keep us enslaved, get drowned in the waters of baptism and we are set free. They have no more legal right to get us after that. And they go through the Red Sea. Then they wandered in the wilderness. It was supposed to take, actually the journey only takes two weeks, but it took them two years to get to the, to the border of the Promised Land. And then they messed it up and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. I just want to make it clear that that time in the wilderness wasn't, if I'm comparing Christianity uh, our Christian life and our Christian experience to whether they were in the wilderness or in the promised land, I would say most Christians, and maybe even most of us in this room and most people listening to me today, most if we were to list the characteristics of the wilderness versus the characteristics of the promised land, most of us would have to admit, I actually have been a Christian for a long time, but actually I'm in the wilderness. You say, really, Greg? Well, we're wandering around aimlessly with no real goal. We're the same, we keep going past the same place again and again and again. Hearing the same teaching, it doesn't change our lives. We're the same maturity in Christ as we were 20 years ago. I hope I'm not offending you, but hey, we just got to be honest. Amen? We are guided by the Lord. There's a pillar of cloud and fire which guides us. Yay! But it's a day-by-day -day guidance. There's no maturity where I say, I know the big plan and I'm making plans of how to get there in one year, 10 years, 20 years time. I'm working towards something. No, no, it's just, God, what do you want me to do today? That's wilderness Christianity. God is providing. There's manna every day. There's water. There's quail. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes would never wore out. Hallelujah, God provides all my needs. Yes, but is it the abundance of the flowing with milk and honey and the big bunches of grapes? I wonder if I'm challenging you, but I, I'm challenged by this stuff. Where are you? You might say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a charismatic Christian. I've been filled with the Spirit and I hear God's voice. Yeah, but are you in the wilderness? Are you in the promised land? Anyway, they got to the border of the Promised Land, which is the Jordan River. And Numbers 13, I'm just going to read some of the verses. Numbers 13, verse 27. Uh, they'd, they'd gone in, they'd sent 12 spies into the Promised Land, and the spies came back. Ten of the spies, it says, brought a bad report, and two of them brought a good report of faith. And at the end of the day, only two were faithful. Only two of that whole Two or three million Israelites, only two, got into the promised land from that day. Uh, it's an absolutely tragic, shocking story. And those verses I read you from 1 Corinthians 10, it says, This happened as an example and a, and a warning for us, because all of them thought they were getting into the promised land, but very, very few did. Why am I sharing this? Because it's possible that you and I can live as Christians. We're saved. 
but we're wilderness Christians, and there's so much more that God has for us. There's a promised land, and we miss it. In fact, before I read this, I wonder if you know that hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, do you know it? There's a verse in that hymn which talks about getting to the edge of the promised land, the Jordan River, and going in, and it talks about it as death. Put the words up, please, Carol. Okay, we're now going to sing hymn number 483. Are you ready? Shall we stand? No, actually don't. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises, songs of... And then it goes on. And you know what? It's rubbish. It's garbage. Why? Because there's no giants in heaven. There's no battles in heaven. Jordan is not a picture of dying. You see, the old-fashioned mentality of Christianity is, oh, I wander around in this wilderness of, world, of the world for 40 years, and then I die and I go to heaven in the promised land. No, it's for here. <laughs> it's for now. We, you and I, can have it. Granted, there are battles in the promised land. I'm not saying it's all easy. There are giants to overcome, but you and I can live in the promised land. Let's break out. And so the whole idea of this Joshua's generation series of talks is let's be a generation, not just one or two. Let's all of us get into this promised land this year. Let's break into the new thing. Are you up for it? I, I want to tell you there's a, a big risk that many of us will be wilderness Christians, but I want us to, as a group, say, let's move over. Let's push through the Jordan. Let's get to the promised land. So let me read to you the tragic story. Numbers 13, verse 27. Then they told him and said, this is the spies talking. So 12 spies have gone across. By the way, it was a blunder to send 12 spies. Democracy in the Christian church is not a happy thing to do. Deuteronomy 1, 22, Moses says, you guys asked me if we could send 12 spies. I didn't want to. You guys, it was democracy. Let's send 12 spies. Why do we need spies if God's told us we can have the, the land? Amen? True? Anyway. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They'd had to have two men to carry a bunch of grapes. That's how big the fruit was in the promised land. Nevertheless, as soon as they said nevertheless, Moses should have stood up and said, Shut up! <laughs> Amen? What on earth do we need nevertheless when God has said, It's yours? Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. You can imagine the nation. Oh. The cities are fortified and very large. Oh. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, for those of you who don't know, that means giants. There's, a, there's an economic collapse coming. Oh. 
The church is going to be in terrible, dry straits. <gasps> we don't need that stuff, man. We've got the promises of God. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Badiites. <laughs> the world is so full of negative. Amen? And the church gets sucked into it. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Well done, Caleb. <laughs> you know, this word Caleb, his name means dog. He, he, was, he was just a nobody until this time, but the Bible says there was a different spirit in Caleb. It doesn't matter that there's 10 spies and 2 million people with a negative attitude. He quietens the people. He says, excuse me. He stands up. He said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw the giants, the descendant of Anak, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Do you see the problem there? We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Friend, if you are taking your cues, your, if you are using the world as your mirror to say, how big am I in Christ? You will always look like a grasshopper and you will always think you're a grasshopper. But if you look at the promises of God, you will see you are the giant because you have Christ in you. Amen. Chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. You know, I've been to so many church gatherings and even prayer meetings where it, it's just like this. It's like, oh, we're defeated. What can we do? How bad the situation is. And I sometimes feel like rising up and saying, Friend, speak to that mountain. Come on! Get some courage in you. Verse 2, And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Amazing. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. Um, Verse 6, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones, and then the glory of the Lord appeared. And God said to Moses, I want to destroy this people. I want to start again, Moses, with just you. Wow. Moses intercedes. He says, no, Lord, don't. 
Remember your name, the Lord, the Lord, gracious, slow to anger, forgiving iniquity to a thousand generations. Don't destroy them. So God says, okay, but for 40 years, in other words, one year for every day that the spies were in the land, you're going to wander around in the wilderness. Listen to this. Until everyone who is faithless is dead. And only the little kids who are 20 years and younger, who didn't complain and have no faith, only they will go into the promised land. Wow. So one of the reasons we may be in the wilderness is because it's killing the faithless part of us. And God is getting some strength back into us. And I hope that's not us. I really pray. You know, God can use hardship, amen, to change us and make us more like Jesus. We know that's true. The Bible is full of verses that say God can use hardship to fashion us and mold us and make us more like Jesus. Isn't that true? He can. He can use the wilderness to kill the faithless part of us so that it's just faith in us. But you know that's not God's first plan or prize. His first plan is not to use hardship to make you more like Jesus. His first plan is for you to hear His word and trust Him and obey. And you don't have to go through the hardship. You know, we will suffer. Jesus said, John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The problem is, is when we idolize the trouble and we start saying, God, bring on the trouble. I want to I suffer so that I can be more like Jesus. He says, you don't have to do that. We're in a world of suffering, yes, but push through. Take my word, trust it. Trust in me. Have my spirit and my power with you. Get through it. You know, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, All scripture, this book, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Fully equipped. In other words, if we take this as God intends it, we don't need the suffering to learn. We can be fully equipped for every good work. However, okay, I'm going to close now. We do go through suffering. And Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 5, says this. I'm changing direction a little bit here. Song of Songs, 8, verse 5. How many of you have ever read Song of Songs? Not many. Read it, especially if you're married. If you're not married, maybe don't read it. It's a, it's a shocking book. It's worse than Fifty Shades of Grey. Not that I've read Fifty Shades ago, I haven't. But. Song of Songs shows that marriage and sexual love in a marriage is God's idea and God's plan. And it's a beautiful story of a, a lady called the Shulamite and a man called the Beloved. And then there's this group of friends who are watching these two interrelating and they keep making comments. It's a fantastic book, but it also is a picture of us as Christians and our relationship with our beloved Jesus. It's beautiful. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Your love is better than wine. Your banner over me is love. He is, my lover is the fairest among 10,000. Who is this who comes galloping over the hills? It is my beloved. It's a picture of us and Jesus. We, we're enraptured by Jesus. Our heart jumps 
at, at thinking of him. We love him with a passion, with an emotion. More than a, a husband and wife, more than a man and woman's passion, is the Christian's passion for our Jesus. And in Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Who is this coming from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I just want to say to you, friend, I've been through some wilderness times myself. I'm not saying you will never go through hard times. But let's use the wilderness to make us lean upon our beloved. Who is this coming from the wilderness, in other words, out of the wandering time, trying to get into the promised land, leaning upon her beloved. If we use the wilderness to get closer to Jesus, it's been worth it. Amen? And now I want to close by saying that Joshua, Joshua's generation, I'm going to, over the next few weeks, go into different aspects of how we become Joshua's generation. But one of the things is we are Joshua's generation. You know the word Joshua is the same name as Jesus. Did you know that? When the angel appeared to Joseph, Mary and Joseph were going to have a baby, and the angel appears to Joseph, he says, you shall call his name Yeshua, which is Joshua. And we've changed it. The Greek version of it is Jesus. But Joshua and Jesus is the same name, and it means Yahweh is my salvation. The first thing about us being Joshua's generation is we've got to say, he is my beloved. I'm leaning upon him. I'm hidden in him. I'm married to him. He's my leader. He's my identity. He's my protection. He's my commander-in-chief. He's the lover of my soul. He's the one I identify as. When people, when I walk into a new social environment and people say, who are you? I don't say my profession. I don't say my name. I don't say my nationality or, or my family background. I may not say it out loud, but foremost in my mind is I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. That's the first thing that we need to be Joshua's generation to get into the promised land. And unfortunately, there are many people who are in churches who bear the name of Christ, if someone says to them, what religion are you? I filled out a visa application form this last week. And it said, what religion are you? And one of the options was Christian. With the Star Wars movies, you know that in some census forms, people put Jedi, did you know that? As their, as their, as their religion, because they said, May the 4th is their day, may the 4th be with you. And, and so May the 4th is their religious day, and they, they put uh, Jedi. And there was five, 500,000 people worldwide put their religion as Jedi, which is just a crazy thought. But many people put Christian. We name the name of Christ. We say, I am Joshua's or Yeshua's or Jesus's. He is my commander. He is my leader. Many people name his name, but it's a fake Amen? There's no relationship. There's no husband-wife relationship. There's no identity. They're relying on their own strength, their own wisdom, their own protection, their own family background, their own ability instead of on Christ. They're not getting their daily life from Him. They're not identifying with Him. They're not saying, I am Jesus's. They're not hidden in Him. They're not clothed in Him. They don't love Him. 
You know, Alexander the Great had a, a circumstance in his army. He had many soldiers under him. And one of the things that he would not uh, endure was cowardice. And there was a man who came to him and he was accused of running away from a battle. And this man came before Alexander and Alexander looked at him and the man was accused of, you know, of cowardice. And Alexander was quite peeved off with him and he, he was quite upset but he was, he was in an open frame of mind. He was willing to listen and maybe if the guy had a good excuse, he would forgive him. But then suddenly something happened. He said to the young man, so what is your name? And the man said, my name's Alexander. And Alexander the Great's face changed and a frown and a darkness and an anger came over him and he stood up and he started shaking and he said, soldier, change your conduct or change your name. Friend, Jesus is passionate about his bride. He's a loving bride, father, uh, bridegroom. He's loving and he, he will cover over our sins. But if we say, I name the name of Christ, I love him, and yet we don't fellowship with his people. We don't worship him. We don't live as Jesus lived. He says, change your name or change your conduct. Amen. So I'm going to ask us to stand together now, please. Maybe the worship team could come up. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to just focus on the lover of our souls. The amazing one. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, our commander-in-chief. And we're going to say, Lord, I want to be named as one of yours. I want to be part of your generation. Lord, I don't want to be one of those who wanders and who dies and is lost in the wilderness. I want to go through. I want to press through. And I want to press through with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And friend, if you're here today and you're not sure whether you are part of Jesus' family, if you're not sure Jesus, Yeshua, is your commander-in-chief, perhaps you've been a cultural Christian, you've gone to church, but you've never had that one-on-one -on -one encounter with the lover of your soul where you say, Jesus, I love you, I give my life to you, I follow you and I live for you. And whatever you say, I will do. Unless you've done that, you're probably not one of his people. And today you say, I want that. I want to get set free from Egypt. I want to get set free from those whipping demons that just tell me what to do all the time. I want to be free. I want to be one of Jesus' people. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you just right now briefly to put your hand up and I'll pray with you. So please, if that's you, anyone else? Praise God. Yes, anyone else? Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Last chance. Okay. Let's pray this prayer together. Just, let's all just raise our hands to heaven and pray the prayer together. And if you've lifted your hand, today is your day, friend. Today is your day. Just lift your hand and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you lived and died for me. And today, Lord, I want to find myself by losing my life, by giving myself to you. Wash me clean, Lord. Make me a brand new person. 
And I thank you, God, for your promise, which says, if I call on your name, I will be saved. I trust you today. I've called on your name. And I thank you that I'm now your child. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And remember, friends, we don't want anyone to be left behind over these next few weeks. So perhaps you're here today and you say, I know I'm a wilderness Christian. Yes, I've been listening to God, but it's always just, a, just the minimum. I just get what I need. I don't have a purpose. I have to wait for the guidance every minute of the day. I don't know what God's bigger plan is for my life. When I fight a battle, it's not to win territory. It's just to get through to the next place. I'm not winning when I fight battles. I'm just fighting off an enemy every now and again. I want to be in the promised land. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you, we're going to lift our hands together. And we're going to say, God, we want to be Joshua's generation, not Moses' generation. We want to move forward into new things this year. So let's, let's lift our hands together and let's commit ourselves. Dear Lord God, we don't want to be those who die in the wilderness. God, we want to move through. And we thank you that you never give us a challenge or a command without giving us the power to do it. And so, Lord God, I put myself today in this place of saying, I want to be in Joshua's generation. I want to be one of those who presses through to the great things that you have for us. And I commit myself, Lord, and my family over the next few weeks to enter in, to push through, and to see what you have for us today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.